All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. We've got an interesting topic that we're going to bounce around here. Um, and before we get into the topic, I'm going to read a chapter from Romans. And, and as I do, I know a lot of our listeners are very familiar with the Bible. So we have leaders, pastors, lay people. We have people that are not so familiar with the Bible as well that listen in. But try to listen to this. And if you're you know, reading along as you listen to the podcast, Try to do so without thinking that you know the answer, that you know where this is going, that you know what you're supposed to learn from this, because we want to dissect this and actually get to the core of what the Word of God is saying and what the author is saying and not what we think is supposed to be said here. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 13, um, and it's it's a pretty short chapter, so uh, just bear with me here. So in verse 1, he starts with this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, right now, I'm reading from the New King James Version, just for some of you who uh, get really picky about translations. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. It's kind of intense there. He goes on in verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For there, God's minister is attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to who customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now, a lot of times we stop at verse 7 there. But like with a lot of things, you have to understand a fuller context. So we're going to finish up here. Verse 8, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law or the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And finally, he says this, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That is a mouthful. And when you read the whole thing, there's some context to it. So people might be wondering, where do we want to go with this today? And I think getting to the spirit of what's going on, because our world is a very frustrating place right now. And if you just take it, well, we just have to obey. You could be doing things that will absolutely violate your conscience. It'll violate one of those commands. It will also cause you not to love each other. If we go the other direction and just disregard that, oh, that's just a different context. It doesn't apply to me. And you just become angry at a system and you become angry at the government, and every official's bad, everyone's corrupt, everyone is this, you're actually cause going against government that God 
established. So I'm not saying every person is functioning the way God established, as in Hosea. It's there was a king that was set up that God didn't. He said, I didn't put him in there. You put him in there. So there is places that man has got involved. But the actual govern, the idea of government and authority and power and structure was set up by God for us. So now this becomes a very complicated issue because then we can ask a lot of questions. And so I thought maybe rather than saying, here's the questions we're going to ask, let's just start tearing this apart and do the what ifs. Well, what about this? What about that? So I think a question that comes to my mind, and I think a question that would come to a lot of people's mind is right at the start where it says, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. I mean, if you take that literally and you think about in history, all the evil um, tyrants and dictators who did terrible things for it to say, for the Bible to say, like, as an absolute, there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God, people would probably look at that and say, okay, well, what about all the authorities who did evil in the world and were destructive? And I guess that might be a good place to start. It's a great place. And I don't think when we get done with this, we'll be able to fully pull everything apart. But I think if we could get to the spirit of what's going on, I think we could at least diagnose what our response should be to things. So for instance, we would say if we obeyed this literally, the German community that where Auschwitz was located was right in ignoring what was going on at Auschwitz and just doing what they're told. Every guard involved in Auschwitz was absolutely in the right, doing the right thing because they were just obeying those who were in authority over them. I believe the Nuremberg trials established that, that just because you're told what to do doesn't mean you're not doing something illegal. And I think that's very important to understand. When we're talking about this idea of authority, we have to look at uh, the story of Esther and you have Haman who was using the, the system evilly for his own benefit to destroy a people. And he tricked the king. King passed the law, but the law was the law. You don't change the law. I think sometimes we look, we may take a passage like this and said, well, it's just the law. We should go kill all the Jews. But we on this day, we're just going to follow the decree. No, Mordecai, they took a risk because they walked within the law. And they walked with the authority and they went back to the authority and that authority gave Mordecai the power. They created a new law and it ended up that Haman found himself hung on the gallows that he originally created. But had they become bitter towards the system or bitter towards the government structure of authority to begin with, they would have never been set free. They could have never been delivered. It would have just been, and we could sit and tear this apart all day long. But I think if we start looking at different examples, maybe we can get to the spirit of what's being talked about here and not necessarily the technicalities of every event. One thing that I've kind of noticed with this, and uh, I'm wondering if you guys have seen the same or not, when people bring up this passage in particular or anything about the Bible saying to respect your elders, to respect those in authority, when anyone brings that up, I have never heard them bring it up from the perspective of, you know what, I've been kind of resisting this government thing right here 
and the Bible's convicting me. I need to, I need to accept this government thing. It is always exclusively when someone is trying to get justification for why someone else should have to follow a government decree that they believe in as well. And I've seen this, especially the last three to four years, play out in front of my eyes with people, where in one breath they will say, I well, yeah, this is a government rule right here, but it's it's stupid. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna abide by it. And then the next day, gossip about someone else who's not following a similar governmental order. Is it's no one actually lives the way that they say this, that that they preach this. No one actually lives, you know what? We have to be completely subject to the government. In in America, in the context from what I've seen, no one actually operates this way. So right off the bat, it's really interesting to me when people kind of jump here as if it's kind of like a little go-to verse when they need to prove a point on something. And rarely ever are people looking at this and saying, okay, what's the actual truth here? What do I need? How should I actually operate as a Christian living in the world? So I think that's the first thing we have to start with. We have to shift that whole belief and perspective away from, well, how can I use this to prove a point into what am I actually trying to live out as a believer in the world here? I think there has to be a point where you use the system, but not like what you were saying, like, don't let it make you bitter and all this, but use it where you can, because like the government itself, like government is created by God. Because I think like a lot of times, like with what you were saying, Jason, I hear that so often using the verse to justify, like, you should listen to the government and like, as like as Americans, I hear this like all the time. And like as Americans, we care too much about our rights, not like the safety of other people. So we should be doing what the government says. And I think the problem is sometimes, like when I'm hearing that, it's like we're just putting the verses like in the context of our own lives and not seeing like the context that it's originally written, like with what you're saying, Brian. For me personally, I have to start without my own biases of like how I want to react to certain government things or how I want to say like, oh, that's a good thing. Like it has to kind of be neutral of what the government is doing. Like what's our response, no matter what the government is doing, good or bad. And how do we navigate that? Well, I want to know how, how you actually see that. Like, is, is that how you kind of read it to where there's, so there's things that, and, and maybe and correct me if, if I'm missing uh, what you're saying here, but as a general rule, obey what the government says, but there are some things that we shouldn't go along with, even if we're ordered to by the government. I don't think I like from my perspective, it's probably different. I hear the perspective of like, you should just obey the government because of this verse, you know, and like the whole like. Christians, we're not supposed to care about our rights. Like, I've heard that a lot lately. I don't know why that particular term, but like, from my perspective, the way I see it, which I'm not sure if it's correct, because I could have my own biases in there too. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But like, for me, I see it as the government is an authority set up by God, but God's authority is still higher. So, when the government crosses like a moral line and it's requiring like asking of you to do the same thing, then you can't do that because God's authority is still higher. But like for general stuff, I think when it's 
maybe not to do necessarily with morality, then you can work within like the system that you're in because we're all born at different times in history. And I think if the Bible is really like applicable across time, then what it's trying to say is it doesn't matter what government you're under, like don't let it be the controlling factor. Cause I don't think that's what it's trying to say, but like use it as a tool during your time for good, if you can. And, but still God's authority is higher. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not completely sure. Cause there is a lot of like different opinions on that. And I don't think I've necessarily formulated my own entirely. Well, if we throw in the two ideas we've been talking about the last couple of weeks of order, so order and chaos, I think one of the main things that is important is that there is a sense of order established. So just to have chaos to break order for the sake of getting rid of order. There's something wrong with that thinking. So it's almost like our current world, the family structure is being broken and it's being torn apart. So there isn't family. So the family becomes something different. So I think when we're looking at this, there's principles that God had set up. And I do find it interesting that Paul is saying Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. So who's Paul actually talking about? Because I don't know authorities that did praise him. Now, when he was on the ship that was about ready to get shipwrecked because of a storm came up, the guards were going to kill all the prisoners. Because if a prisoner escapes, the guard would be held accountable for those things. And Paul said, no, wait, we are all going to be safe. And the guards trusted him, knowing that he would keep everybody together. The same thing happened when he got put in prison in Macedonia, where the Church of Philippi started. Remember, they were praising God, and and all the chains and all the prisoners were unchained, and the guard was going to kill himself because all the prisoners were unchained. And Paul said, no, 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 we're all here. We're not leaving. See, to me, he's, he's using the authority of that system to actually protect them, and he was receiving praise from the leaders of that area. I see the same true with Joseph. He, used the, he stayed within and didn't become bitter at what Egypt was doing to him. He just kept being himself, and he would begin rising within that. Now, we don't live in a tyrannical-type system in America. We live in a constitution. So as our government, what are we, where's our authority lie within our government in America? What is the ruling foundation of, is it the king's word? The constitution. It's the constitution. So even as a, as a uh, if you're a police officer, if you're a government official, you swear an oath to uphold the constitution, military, whatever. So the basis of all of our authority in America comes from that Constitution. And there's a process to dealing with change with the Constitution. Now, when people get out of whack and want to do things outside of the Constitution, what are there are means that, that's why there's court systems, there's lawsuits. I'm not saying any of this is easy and it's played out the way I always want it to. I'm just saying... There is a mechanism to protest that idea and to declare it 
wrong, law, unlawful, the same way Paul said it was unlawful for you to beat me because I'm a Roman citizen. So then he could bring it to something higher to try to bring adjudication to the situation. And we could say, well, yeah, but look, it's becoming corrupt and corrupt and corrupt. But if we stay to the main core tenets, we're, we're supposed to walk in love. That means we don't lie. We don't covet. We don't uh, commit adultery. We don't murder. We don't do those things because I can't say I love someone. So if the government is causing me, if if an official is using that to cause me to break one of those things, you, you have you can't because now they're not walking in the authority. At least that's how I see it. If you re-put all this together, I have a question when it comes to. I I feel like we've talked about this in the past about being ambassadors in the world but not of the world and so does that play a part into this too of being in a system that's created by god but shaped and molded by humans but still kind of living outside of that system by having a relationship with god because i feel like with paul he definitely had a relationship with god outside of the government but he also used his rights as a citizen of rome to operate in that kingdom and then joseph did pretty much the same thing in his rise to power too as he operated within each system that he was forced into so how much of this does it actually play out into knowing our rights as a citizen of heaven or our rights as a citizen in whatever country or system we're in it's a good question i think the one thing i observe in all of romans 13 it says, let us walk, walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And in context of all this, I just think it's interesting that there's this context through this whole thing. And then he, the next verse, he starts talking about those that are in dispute and doubtful things. He's talking about our position. If if we're walking, like you said, Tommy, as a son of God, within the favor and inheritance of the kingdom of God, and we're going in to see people set free, discover who they are, discover who their father is, you know, we're walking in that mission, or at least that's kind of the more of the direct context of our mission. If they get caught up in the anger and the malice and the frustration of whatever environment that they're in, it will cause them to do things and function out of a lower realm of living in order to deal with that. And I think Paul is saying, I want you to rise up and see something bigger. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7-ish, um, that, hey, when you follow me, they're going to kill you. They're going to send you before the courts. Families will be divided. All this stuff's going to happen. Okay, so he's basically saying, I'm coming, and families will be divided. Children will turn against their parents, parents against their children. You'll go before the courts. They won't hear you. They're going to throw you into prison. They're going to kill you. They're going to persecute you for, for me. So Jesus right there is basically saying, I am going to cause the systems to be against you. but 
don't be bitter at their system. It's not of you. So, I'm not sure so how to understand. square that for a person that's trying to make a decision. How do I stand up and do what's right in a system that's telling me I need to go do this, and now it looks like I'm a rebelli rebelling? I think and that's a hard that, thing to square. That does get tricky, but if you understand the the context of what he's saying here. So so there's there's two things in this passage. There's As I've studied this, there's the grammar. And then there's the context of, okay, how did the people that wrote this live it out and demonstrate what they're talking about? Because Paul wrote this, so how did he demonstrate that? So if you remember the context, he's writing to the believers in Rome. And you remember that during the time of Jesus, the Jews who believed in him were constantly looking for him to politically or militarily overthrow the Roman rule. To the point where Jesus had to run away from some of the crowds because he understood they're trying to make me a king right now, so he left. Like we've we've seen that. So there's the context of how the Jews viewed Roman rule at the time. They wanted an out. They wanted to be politically or militarily freed from it. And I think that's the first part of context that he's addressing. He's he's just setting this up, guys. Christianity, this this way, this belief in Jesus is not about overthrowing a government or a nation. And even when you just look at the grammar of it, if we kind of take out our context or our, our preconceived idea of, well, he's talking about, you know, every specific government that's ever lived in existence. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the concept of authority as a, as a concept, what it means to have authority and what it means to be under authority. Those concepts are established by God. So you don't get to live in this idea that you can do everything under your own power. There's, there's authority that's ordained by God. And if you don't think that you fall on, in that cycle, in that system, then you're living in some alternate reality. I mean, even if you just look at the, the nature of humanity, we, we constantly organize ourselves into groups. Like there's a lot of people that are just okay living in the mountain by yourself. Awesome. I've got some friends like that. It's, that's great. But the vast majority of people, we, we group up. We want community. We want that. When that happens, there is authority and hierarchy that's established because that's just how we function. That concept is established by God. So if you're going to operate in this world, like you were saying, Tommy, you have to be in that authority and understand you are under that concept. But there's one other interesting thing that I see in this. Okay, if this is the word of God, how did Jesus demonstrate this? And we were talking about this a little bit before, and I'm really curious what you guys think about this. So this idea of being subject to the governing authorities, and by the way, that's not just, it's not just Rome in his time, because there was political Jewish leaders of regions, there was religious leaders, legal leaders. But in John chapter 5, when Jesus heals the man who was lame by the pool and tells him to pick up his mat and walk, that was illegal. It was literally illegal for that man to do it because it was the Sabbath, and that's what that man got in trouble for. So in this concept of Romans 13 and authority and submitting ourselves to it, what do we take from things like Paul, as you said, Brian, rejecting the, uh, the magistrates when they said to, be, to just let him go? He says, no, you're going to come here and free us. How do we take Jesus in John chapter 5? telling this man, I've just healed you, now pick up your mat and walk, which, by the way, is illegal to do. Well, and then he praises, when you're bringing up authority, to have that context, the one, the one place Jesus talks about authority 
in the, the clearest way was this centurion who says, I am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, do this, and he does it. You just speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. I don't even need you to come. In other words, because he so understood authority, there was great power that he was able to tap into from God that most people, and, and it was one of two places that Jesus marveled. He marveled at the disciples' unbelief after being with him all this time and was talking about words, which happened in two chapters later, and he marveled at this man that he just understood authority. And I think what Paul, that there is part of that that Paul's trying to explain is understand how authority works. Understand where your power comes from. It's not just obscure. If you want to get rid of every bit of authority that is, quote unquote, hindering you from doing anything, you're going to miss out because you won't know how to walk in authority. So I think there's a lot of things at play in this, but I go back to this question when someone asks, well, how do I just read the Bible without knowing all the deep depths of all this? How, how do I, I'm just reading, it says, obey those in authority over me. They say I need to go do this. And so if I don't go do this, then I'm disobeying authority. But you're, you're not looking at your role within authority. What is your, what authority have you been given within this? Have you been given to speak the truth? Have you been given that authority? Have you been given the authority to not give in to just the approval of man? Have you been given that authority? Have you been given the authority to um, desire what someone else has and you don't? Have you been given that authority? So authority has to still stay within the framework of consistency. It bears a question you, at the end of the day, are responsible for your actions. You're going to be held accountable. You can't say someone else told you to do it. You can't say, well, I just obeyed him. Well, that's not going to go fly very well for the guards that ran Auschwitz. They needed redemption. They needed forgiveness. They needed something because they were responsible because they did not do what was right. But it didn't mean they didn't want authority. I, I, I think that's just standing up isn't saying get rid of all authority. It's you're dealing with an abuse of something. I think you hit something, too, when you talk about you can't understand how to have authority if you've never been under authority. Like you, you, you have no you have no concept on how to operate as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God without understanding how authority works. Because if there is no under authority, then the authority we have in the spirit means nothing. Like, what, what power does God have then? What power does anyone in the kingdom of God have if authority isn't a real thing and isn't a respected thing? And at times, we see people throughout the Bible that understood that their actions, being led by the spirit of God and in his truth, were going to lead to their demise, specifically. Like when... Esther approaches the king, I I think she expected to be killed. Or she at least understood it's everything in the in the law says that I should be killed, but if I die, I die. But she was willing to accept that without being against it. She wasn't bitter at the law. She acknowledged this is what the law is, and this is the cost that it's going to cost me to do what is right 
within this. And I think that's the spirit of Paul. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, it's almost like he's saying, or what I'm taking away from this is like, it doesn't matter what the authority is doing because you still have authority over yourself, first of all. And so you have a responsibility to yourself to do good no matter what. Even if the system is punishing you or it's not, you can't let that dictate what you're going to do. You have to do good no matter what. So if you're just being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious, then it's not really doing a good thing, even if the system is evil or the government is evil. You have to do what's good regardless of what the government is doing. And if it's rebellious or not, it doesn't matter. It's just about what the truth is and are you following that? Well, and I think it's interesting in, in Romans 12, 21, which is the last verse before 13, it says, do not be overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the predecessor to this whole rest that we're reading. How do you as an individual not live under and overcome by things that are against you? How do I, how do I help you rise up to your position in God, your position as the son or daughter of God? How do I help you stay in that position? Number one, don't become bitter at the system. Don't, don't let anger and, and the evil begin making you evil. This is the biggest thing that you could see. Once you see evil and injustice done, a lot of people want to go respond, but they're responding out of a covetousness. They're responding at, out of the same spirit that is being done to them. Therefore, they just recreate in a worse way the same thing that was they're trying to get rid of. So there has to become something more powerful than this. We already know Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. He already came to bring a new authority. So these authorities on the, this earth are functioning, but at some point they're going to be, be removed. So there is a way to fully navigate within what God is speaking to you and your conscience. And this is what Paul is saying. You don't want your conscience to become violated. He said, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for your conscience' sake. For, for the sake of your conscience, don't let anger and bitterness and uh, resentment and almost becoming murderous towards those who have done us wrong. We can't let that have any place inside of us. So be subject. This is the government. This is the authority. We can honor that power. We can honor that authority. But it doesn't mean you have to violate yourself and your conscience within that. And then if they persecute you, they're persecuting you for being righteous, not for being unrighteous, of just being anti-government. I think for me, one of the just what's standing out right now is just uh, not being bitter at the system. I think it's really easy for um, people, especially I feel like in America, since we, we kind of create the system as we go, it seems like that it's very easy for one side or the other to get very bitter at the other and hold resentment and hold a grudge. And I think it's important for Christians to not only let go of that, but to also know kind of how that operates so that we can make a difference within the government. Because I don't think we're just supposed to completely give up like all our rights as citizens. And I don't know, I, I just feel like the not being bitter part is very crucial. Well, and I, if 
there's one key point in all this, and I think if if I could lay this out in the clearest manner, the number one premise that Paul is trying to address in this is the fact the moment we look to something else to blame for our situation or our life or the events that take place, if we if we live life looking to something else to blame versus owning what we are and who we are to it, you will always have a problem. And Paul is trying to tell you, you need to own yourself. I think part of the rhetoric going on was what you were talking about, Jason, of what Rome was like. And they were being brutal. They were part of the, the Colosseums and the martyring of Christians. And they were brutal. But at the end of the day, you can only own, own yourself. And I think something that I read with this quote, um, the book Beyond Order by Jordan Peterson, it says, it is much safer, it is much safer morally to look to yourself for the errors of the world, at least to the degree to which someone honest and free of willful blindness might consider. You are likely to be much more clear-minded about what is what and who is who and where blame lies once you contemplate the log in your own eye rather than the speck in your brother's eye. And I think this becomes what Paul is saying. If you do good, just be out there and be yourself and do what's right and love your neighbor It right according to what the law says. Uh, like the Ten Commandments were, it's all fulfilled within that. So loving doesn't just mean because they approve of you, but you love them, you care about them, you wouldn't do something to hurt them, right? And if we live like that, and then we have to stand for truth because an official takes authority to the wrong way and, and causes abuse and harm, we can stand. Because we owned ourselves, so we can now own our standing. Like Bonhoeffer had to wrestle through this whole idea this whole Romans 13 was Bonhoeffer's huge rustle. And he came to the point that this was what was right. But he owned his own decision. He owned what could happen to him. He owned the fact that if I do this, this will be the repercussions for doing it. And so the reason he could accept the repercussions is because he understood the authority that would, would deal with that. And I think this is maybe the bigger place that we're trying to go to. Yeah, definitely. I think also not only like don't become bitter towards the system, but I think I hear this a lot too, is like people feel like they're victimized by the system. Like they feel like, oh, because I'm living under this government is so hard and stuff. Instead of, it's like the opposite end of like becoming mad at the government. It's more like, what was me kind of state. And I think even Paul, like you were saying, Brian, being in prison and like he was never bitter and he also never saw himself as a victim of the government. He just saw that it was a neutral thing and like he was gonna do good either way. Like it doesn't matter what the government is doing, what other people are doing to persecute and murder Christians. I think sometimes I've seen that like a lot on social media and stuff like that too, which is not really a good gauge for reality anyways, but people can see themselves as a victim and then not even want to do anything about the system. They just want to hide away and cry about it. So I think 
that's where responsibility comes even more to us to do good within the government and within the system we're living in because we can't just be mad and bitter about it and try and change it because of that. And we can't just sit back and do nothing because we feel like we're a victim of what we're living under. I think there has to be like, we're going to go be a light and be true, like share truth, but at the same time, not doing it for the sake of being bitter, but there's still responsibility to do things about it as well. I think there's, there's a really good point to that because there is a, a big tendency, I think, for a lot of people when, when they kind of look around and realize, okay, wait, maybe, maybe there is a lot of evil in governments and in authorities around the world, or maybe even in my own country where I didn't see it before. And there can be a tendency when that happens to kind of just sit there and be angry about it. And on one hand, it's completely legitimate. Like when you see evil and wrongdoing and injustice being done around the world, it makes you angry. When you see it being done in your own nation, in your own country, in your own community, it should make you angry. And there's there's a degree of standing up against it. But at some level, if all of that awareness does is make you feel like a victim and well, the government's oppressing people, the government's stealing from people, it's doing injustice here. Okay, yes, it is. But that's that's not it. And it, it's almost like we we take Romans 13, either on one extreme or the other, say, well, just shut up and do whatever the government tells you to, or see how terrible and evil the government is, and we never read the rest of the book, as if that was the entire point he was trying to make. And, and like you said, we just become these victims of, well, there's this evil government around me and it's oppressing people. Okay, let's say that's true. Now, what do we do? As believers, as saints, like who he's writing to in this book, what is our action? What's our proactive thing that we do and step forward in? I just, I, I think it's our tendency to react to authority. Like, with a counter to it right like you don't want to come under authority authority kind of has to be given in a sense like you have to give someone authority over yourself like um when you become a christian you give your authority to god and god gives you his authority i think that's similar into the sense of this is like we have to understand that we have our own authority as citizens and that we have to come under the government's authority. But when that authority is wrong or goes against ours, it's okay to go against, but to understand that we don't have to get vengeance on the government. We don't have to do evil back to them because of what they've done to us. And I think, I think it's, it's a, very hard thing for people to do because we want justice we want what is just right here and right now to happen in our lives but in the grand scheme of things god will bring justice back and everyone will be repaid for what they have done on earth but i think it's that really short-term thinking of like i want what is right to happen to me right now we don't really have a willingness to bear pain in a sense mm. you know I, I brought up uh jordan peterson earlier and i thought 
Jason, you brought up that point with, um, and I this this will tie in, uh, Tommy, with that willingness to bear pain. Uh, Jason, you had brought up, you know, Jesus basically breaks the rules on the Sabbath. And uh, in Luke, it makes this statement, on that same day, observing one working on the Sabbath, Jesus said to him, O oh man, if indeed thou knowest what thou doest, thou art blessed. But if you do not know, you're cursed and a transgressor of the law. And I thought that's very interesting. And so I thought this was the, probably the best way of articulating this I'd ever heard written about how Jesus transgressed the law according to man, but he actually was doing the right thing in within the law because he fulfilled he didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law. So he never broke the actual spirit of the law ever, ever. Yet he was accused of doing it according to man. He was the perfect sacrifice. So he never once violated the law. Yet he was accused of violating the law. But he knew what he was doing. So here's, here's uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, the psychologist from that wrote this. If you understand the rules, their necessity, their sacredness, the chaos they keep at bay, how they unite the communities that follow them, the price paid for their establishment, and the danger of breaking them, but you are willing to fully shoulder the responsibility of making an exception. Listen to what he says. Because you are willing to fully shoulder the responsibility of making an exception. That's what you were saying earlier, Tommy, to pay the price. Because you see that as serving a higher good. And if you're a person with sufficient character to manage that distinction, then you have served the spirit rather than the mere law that is an elevated moral act. But if you refuse to realize the importance of rules you are violating, and act out of self-centered convenience, then you are appropriately and inevitably damned. The carelessness you exhibit with regard to your own tradition will undo you and perhaps those around you fully and painfully across time. That is probably the best distinction of fully know the law, operate within the goodness, fully give yourself to the authority Yet, in the moment of the spirit of it to rise up beyond it, shoulder the responsibility, own it like Stephen did, like Peter did, like Paul did, like John did. They owned it. Jesus did it. And it took them to the cross. They were killed for it. But they never violated it. That was really helpful to me in understanding that whole idea. Do you think there's something to it then on kind of on both sides of it to where on one hand, You've got to be able to endure the pride swallowing to submit to authority. But there are times where you have to endure the pain of the backlash from that authority when you need to walk out what you're called to do that goes against it. Absolutely. And we usually just like to pick one or the other. Well, I'm really, I really enjoy going against the authorities because I get a rush from that of my rebellion. Or I really enjoy being submissive to it because then I never have to make a decision for myself and I just become a mindless lemming. Well, that it would be no different than a sporting event that you really like a team and you think that they've been unjustly treated. So you just 
make them the champions. No, they have to go on the field where the rules are and beat the other team. You have to you have to utilize within the rules and the spirit of that and and function within that to to beat them. Otherwise, you're not. What are you? You have to just create a whole new sport. And using that metaphor, I see a lot of people blaming the referees when their team loses and very few people just saying, you know what? We just didn't do it good enough to that game. Well, and I will tell you, if you go look at Russian history, um, not just the Bolsheviks and the different government changes and the different revolutions, that it was all just against. I'm against this. I'm against this. And wow, the destruction on people's lives living that way. Okay, but now you find yourself in that. How do you function? Well, Solzhenitsyn had to go dig deep, 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 deep. Man, you got to go to a deep place to discover, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, there's an evil here. But I'm responsible. Because I didn't do what I was supposed to do within this. I don't blame them. I'm responsible for my actions. And that's what began changing him to bring out the Nobel Peace Prize and, and the book that pretty much brought down the Iron Curtain, the Gulag Archipelago, because he decided to own the thing he could within it. And even writing the book, he had to secretly write little parts and hide it, and it was illegal to write the book about him owning the responsibility of why they're there to begin with. So I think... I don't want to make this real confusing as people listen. I want them to start getting to a different, higher mindset, the spirit of what's going on, not the letter. Stop being a victim of life and start discovering what you really are so you can actually bring life and freedom to other people. But it has to be done in a manner that doesn't make you like the person that you're trying to free, be freed from. It's interesting, too, because it sounds like from what you're saying, the moment you take on the responsibility of the entire situation and you look inward, it almost changes the outside more than if you had just tried to change it. Like you saying with Solzhenitsyn, like Nobel Peace Prize, bringing down the Iron Curtain, when he looked inward and took inward responsibility, even like Jesus, it wasn't like he was trying to change the system. It was actually that he just took on full responsibility of the sins of the world basically and then change the world in like the course of history and i think you see that a lot with people that's like the people we look up to in history are the ones who took responsibility upon themselves to change things and not try and like cause a change outside of them to change the system so that it works for them they change themselves and then that changed their environment more than just trying to change the environment first Okay, pause just for a moment right there. You said something absolutely profound. So let me get this right. God himself sends himself into the system that he initially established. So based on the laws that man was given authority, he came under that that was being executed wrongly then the original intent that he it was all abused, he came under that, owned it all, owned all the responsibility. He didn't just redeem mankind. He owned the responsibility of what happened to mankind 
So the creator took on all the punishment. We don't look at it like that. We kind of separate Jesus as something over here, as if God stays up here and Jesus. They're one in the same. They're, they're three separate, but they're one. So you can't separate one from the other, even though they do different roles. It, he himself owned the responsibility within him, the most corrupt humanity had become, owned all their sin, owned everything, and from that took it so man could be free and be one with God and have the same relationship. Imagine if he just got mad, like even when he flooded the earth, he couldn't get rid of everyone or there would be nothing to redeem. Like, and man had become so corrupt, they were un, unrepentant, period. There was no change in their heart. He wasn't just mad at them. Like, there was no place of repentance. They, they wanted nothing to do with God. I still am a thousand percent convinced that when, when, when you hear of hell, of the wailing and gnashing of teeth, it's not out of, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't think there's any sorrow in the sense that they knew they were wrong. I think it's a bitter, angry sorrow that God got, a, God, that they didn't get vindicated in the way that they wanted to. I think it's malice and contempt and gnashing of teeth and anger and bitterness is hell or in hell when they're talking about that. But my whole point was, you said that, and that really hit. God owned the responsibility of all this and rose up different in the spirit of why all this was created to begin with, in the spirit of authority, in the spirit of those laws, in the spirit of that. But you have to own your responsibility first before you can be angry at the things around you. Is that... Is that uh, uh, I'm adding things that we were talking about earlier into that, but is that a summary of yeah. what you were saying, or is that off? Yeah, I'd com I'd completely agree with that because I even think, like, with what we've been saying this whole time, like maybe the starting off point for most people is wrong because it's like, what do we do with the system? How do we transform the system? When in reality, that's not even what Jesus came to do. Because the system that was there, he actually took it to a higher level where he was like, if you even think of, if you even hate your brother, like that is murder. So he didn't come to transform the system. He never transforms our environment or anything like that to help us. It's actually that he transforms who we are. And I think maybe that affects like our environment. Started this, mm -hmm, yeah. And I think that's where maybe like even from this verse, it's like, what's the foundation core that you're starting to look at, look at things with? So when you're looking at authority, you're looking at it as like, like an external thing and like this higher thing that's over top of you. But it's like, okay, well, what about what's on the inside of us and how we're transformed by Jesus? And how does that affect that instead of the environment, the authority, the government affecting us? Think about how powerful you become when you truly don't think about yourself and you love, when someone says go one mile and you go two, who's the subject? Who, who's the slave? You're free. When it says he, turn the, they slap you on one side, turn the other cheek and give them the other, it wasn't saying a, endure abuse. It was saying, whatever you try to take away from me, I can outgive you. You don't get to take something I am going to give. 
and it causes you to ascend to a higher place. What do you do to a man? I remember when I think I've said this before on a podcast, but just the quote so profound. Winston Churchill said this about Mahatma Gandhi. He says, what do you do to a man when you can't take away anything? How do you stop someone like that? He couldn't. And, and Britain had to finally leave India because of this man who you couldn't do anything to him. They became dangerous. And even in the Gulag Archipelago, there was certain ones that became so free there was there's one story of a Christian lady who was so free, didn't matter what the guards did to her, she was not going to change. She was not going to deny who Jesus was, and she said how she felt bad. She felt sorry for the guard of the oppression and the fear that he lived under. She goes, "I don't live under that." They didn't. They didn't kill her. They didn't put her in prison. They they caused her to leave the country. Well, why didn't they do the same thing to her that they did to everybody else? Because what do you do to someone like that? They become a martyr and a hero to people. You got to get rid of them. So let me kind of bring this around to something practical for all of us. And um, so I, I would love to hear from all three of you guys on this. And since I came up with the question, I'm going to exempt myself from, from answering it. But how, what would you say to someone that's been listening to all this and is genuinely seeking the right thing to do. When you look at everything going on in, I don't know, we'll just pick a random country, the USA the, over the last couple of years and all the changes that have happened, and someone's asking, how do I navigate these things in light of submitting to authority but not compromising my identity, who I am, and what God has called me to do, what's right and wrong, what is just and unjust? How do I navigate that? I think maybe the... The question, I can say this for myself, that I should do this. I think I shouldn't ask, like, what's wrong with the system or the government or what do I do because I'm living under this authority? I think it's the question that I need to ask myself is how can I live to the greatest extent of the responsibility that I can bear, like, my own weight of? And I think if we start from that point, even though it doesn't seem like, like it's like, okay, how are you going to change a government or authority if you start with yourself because you're so much smaller than something that big? But I think if you, like, the example is in history. Like, that's what we see. It's when the people started with looking not to, like, the government and what can I change about it, but more like, where can I own responsibility in my own life? And I think when you ask that question and when you actually walk it out, like when the authority challenges what you believe or when you have to submit to authority, it won't be like a question of like, do I submit to this authority or not? It's like the question is, do I want to take on the responsibility of what I believe if this authority is challenging it? And if you've already decided to do that in your daily life and what you do in general, then I think when the time comes for that question to be answered, like you will say, okay, I'll take on the responsibility of this and I'll bear the weight of it because like the truth is what I value or good is what I value when this good may be punished that I'm doing. So I think that that's the question, maybe like the questions we're asking is, like too much about what's the authority and there's not to like 
dog on your question or anything like that, Jason. But like, for me personally, I know I need to do that. Like I need to ask like, where am I lacking in responsibility? And then I think starting from that point, that'll change, even though it doesn't seem related. I think that's the starting point. And then those other things, you'll actually end up affecting those other things. And if your original intent was to affect those other things. I think what you just described can explain how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could tell Nebuchadnezzar, we won't bow. And yet a miracle took place after. It's how Daniel could say, no, I won't stop praying. And he was thrown into the lion's den and a miracle took place after. But on the same token, you could see why, uh, whether it was Samson or the judges or uh, exploits in history, that could appear that they were going against, they weren't. They were just going to shoulder the responsibility to deal with something, but not for their own self, but for the people around them. And you could see that in, in the martyrdom of Peter, of Stephen, of all of the, the, those that went before us that died for what they stood for. They never went, they, they did what you said. They just, they didn't, weren't trying to, they weren't a victim of something. They just hit a point where they couldn't stop and they shouldered the responsibility and they, they could accept the ramifications of that responsibility. And I think that's what Jesus originally asked us when we followed him, says they will persecute you for believing in me, but I'm going to give you what you need to shoulder that responsibility because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And I, I think there's something so deeply powerful about what you're saying. Uh, I want to hit that more on a later date. My big takeaway is that we can outgive the authority. And so for the authority to have power over you, they have to take something from you. But if you give more than they can take, you still have power over them. And I think that's something that for me is a big change in perspective because you always try to deny what the authority takes and say, no, you can't have it. But what if we change the question to what could we give so much so that they're no longer the authority over you, but you're the authority over them. And that's what I took from this whole conversation, just kind of sitting here and taking this all in. You know, my, my two cents here as we, as we kind of wrap things up and I can say this confidently with personal experience in this area. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart these days, but you know, if we genuinely look at things from a perspective of, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to be rebellious and I'm not trying to be a mindless lemming. I'm a son or a daughter of God. So what is he leading me towards? If we approach things from that mindset, when we look at all this stuff, do I submit here? Do I stand here? Whatever it is, then you'll be so impressed with what you're able to submit to without feeling insecure, but also what you're able to stand up against confidently. I think when we start with that perspective, and again, firsthand personal experience through this stuff, guys, the favor of the father outweighs the rights that you might have to give up or you might have to stand for those rights. But it, you'd just be impressed with what God can do. Um, and so I know it's difficult. And I know this is a touchy subject for a lot of people because it tends to divide people. And on one hand, that's what the gospel does. It can bring a sword at times and, and split people apart. But there's, there's so much peace and security 
and understanding this is part of the journey our father has us on. So we appreciate you guys being here each and every episode listening in. Until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.